0: Well, we'll have a brief study tonight. First Timothy. First Timothy. We are in a uh, beginning a series on the pastoral letters of Paul, which would be First Timothy, Second Timothy, and the Book of Titus. Um, and so we kind of got a, our feet wet a little bit last week, but we'll we'll go a little further tonight and talk about a general uh, theme for all the pastoral letters. There is a running theme through all of it, but they are of great benefit to study. First Timothy tells us an awful lot about. Uh, Uh, church uh, polity, church organization about the ordaining of deacons and pastors and such. And uh, it it just really, it. it, but the opening couple verses kind of tell us the theme of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. There's a running theme that Paul gives to these two men that he cares very deeply about. And I, I just... I guess I want us to skip down to verse three, and and we'll kind of take our thoughts. I, I want to mention something in verse two that Spurgeon mentioned about these studies that I so so much enjoyed. He said at the end of verse two. Take a look at verse two. Paul said, "Grace, mercy, and peace." Normally in Paul's letters, it's it's grace and peace, but Spurgeon points out for the pastor and for those in in ministry he adds the word mercy which he tells his men the men under his leadership that we need mercy as pastors because we're going to mess it up we're going to make mistakes and mercy from god mercy's not getting what you do deserve so just a word of encouragement uh, be merciful to those in in ministry because we're human beings just like you and uh, we make mistakes just like you okay having uh, dispatched dispatch with that verse three as i urged you when i was going to macedonia remain at ephesus see timothy wanted to go into macedonia with paul But Paul said there's something more important and urgent for the church that you stay there. And so one thing we mentioned last week is those in ministry must be willing to set aside their own personal desires at times and do what's best for the church or what they sense the Lord wants them to do. So you just, anyway, so look at verse 3. I want you to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any other doctrine. Now I want to sit and camp on this for a few minutes because this therein is the essential theme of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. It is Paul's charge to these men that they care deeply and they guard doctrine and teaching and the truth. Now that is a relevant point to make in the day and age that we live, just as it was in the first century. The importance of what a church believes cannot be underestimated. We are who we are because of what we believe. Let a church manifest itself in a thousand different ways. Let it display the ministry as the personality of the church. I don't think any two churches ought to look the same because the personality of the leadership and the people in that church that make it up make that church what it is. It's a terrible mistake for churches to attempt to copy one another. It's just, it's just because what works over there doesn't work over here and what, every church is unique But the thing that's not unique about churches, and must not be unique, is the doctrine of the line of truth. First, Timothy talks about the church being the ground and pillar of the truth. You'll notice at the end of chapter 1, at at least, yeah, at the end of chapter 1 of Timothy, it says, uh, it names two fellows. He said, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may, not, may learn not to blaspheme. They were teaching false doctrine. These books are shot through with warnings to these men, keep the teaching clean. Keep it pure. Stay with apostolic, fundamental, conservative, orthodox teaching. Because it matters. Now the Catholics have such a thing as apostolic successionism. What that basically is, is their pope is a succession from Peter. So they have authority because of the handing down of the order of their popes by apostolic successionism. We have no such thing in our churches, evangelical churches. But we do have a form of apostolic successionism. According to our teaching, we take what the apostles wrote from the scripture as the word of God, and our job is to expound it, to believe it, to live by it, to understand it, to grow in doctrine and the word of God, in truth. So we believe that the Bible is the word of God. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. We believe he lived a sinless life. We believe he died a vicarious physical atonement for our sins. We believe he was bodily buried dead in that grave and that he rose bodily out of that grave. We believe he's physically coming back to this earth. That's a, just a skeleton of what we believe, but that's some, some basic tenets. Now, we've lived into a postmodern age. That basically says this. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. As long as you're sincere in your faith, you'll get there. It's called pluralism. It's called it's all good. It's all good. It doesn't matter. That has seeped into the Christian realm and Christianity has gone to the phase of let's put down all the barriers that separate us. And let's just get along. You have the, uh, the, 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 a couple years ago, that fellow Rob Bell teaching that there was no such thing as hell. Or at least a dumbed down version of hell itself. You have the universalists that teach that all men will eventually be saved, even the devil. And so you have this atmosphere that puts down any kind of teaching That stresses the importance of doctrine and truth. And that, according to Paul, to Timothy and Titus, that is to be rejected. Because what a man believes will either put him in bondage, he'll put him in hell. And what a Christian believes about the gospel will either bind him up or set him free. Man, it matters what we believe. And so there's this great fight for doctrine. Don't you let anybody tell you it doesn't matter what we believe. There's nothing really else that does matter than what we believe. We had a visitor to our church this morning asked one of our Sunday school teachers about the Trinity. And our Sunday school teacher accurately told her that the Trinity was one and three and three and one. There are three separate, and yet they are all one. There is one unity, one God, and yet He is three distinct persons. And with that, the lady walked out of the church. And this is the argument she gave. And it's a classic, by the way, Jehovah Witness argument. How can Jesus die on the cross if he's God? If he died, everything would explode. It's a classic JW argument. Well, she walked out of the church. And the teacher was a little distressed. that she. And I said, man, if there's ever a time for somebody to walk out of the church, that's a good reason right there. We don't want anybody walking out of the church, but we stand on what we believe. Mike had to be strong with that the first few years of Ignite Church, because when you name a church Ignite Church, you get a lot of folks come in, good Christian people, but they think you believe some things that you don't believe. You've got to set the doctrine, you've got to set the teaching, and be firm with it. because So what does it matter? Because there are Christian teachings out there that put people in bondage restrain the work of God, and the correct doctrine sets people free. When Caleb told you you were more than a conqueror, that's not the first time you've heard that. And so you worshiped with great freedom because you believed that he has declared you victorious. What you believe absolutely matters. So let's look at a couple of verses as we go through now that you've got the general thought. And by the way, I just want to skip over to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 2 Timothy 2.2, this is one of my favorite verses as a young Christian. 2 Timothy 2.2, uh, there's four or five generations involved in, these, in this verse. And I've always, this was a favorite of mine, one of the first I ever mem- memorized. Actually, two one. let let's look at 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy now, 2, one. And you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's good. And I tell you why that's good. Because those who teach must not be strengthened in ministry. They must be strengthened in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me. Me is the first generation of Paul. What you have heard is the second generation. In the presence of many witnesses. Third generation. In trust to faithful men, fourth generation, who will be able to teach others, fifth generation. So we pass, we are strong into, because we pass that tradition, apostolic successionism, of the teaching of the original scriptures down from generation to generation, and we make sure that in a postmodern age, we maintain that it absolutely matters what we believe okay first timothy we'll get a couple verses then we'll close it down look at verse four notice he was to charge the authority placed in timothy by paul authority not to suggest that he may charge certain persons not to teach any other doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies and these myths and by the way it doesn't tell us what they are probably a Jewish roots of it and I'm thankful that scripture does not tell us why or what these are because the generation we live in has different myths and genealogies it's a myth to believe that there is no hell it's a myth to believe that all men go to heaven It is a myth to believe that it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you have faith, you're going to make it to God. It is a myth to say that the God of the Muslims and the God of the Jews and the God of the Christians are one God, like Morgan Freeman told us a couple weeks ago on the special. These are myths. These are lies. These are stories that are not true. Satan has a thousand of them. He has them in our age today. They're different than some of them that Paul told or had had to deal with. So that's why scripture is silent about the specifics because they apply to every generation. Notice uh, the results. They promote speculations rather than stewardship from God, which is by faith. The aim of our charge, the result, the outflow is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Certain persons swaying from these have wandered away into empty discussions. Now, Mike and I both know from our delving into theology how many empty discussions can take place on matters that really don't matter. Okay? I'll give you one. Are you familiar with the term open theism? Yeah. Okay. Don't waste your time. Okay. One example of how clergy needs to be reminded to stay on the meat of the matter, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a teaching regarding regarding sovereignty versus free will. How does God see the future? Open theism tells us that God doesn't know all the future. He knows the possibilities of the future. But it's open for men to make choices. Now, he knows the five possibilities, so you, you, you can only make one of those five. Open the- what a waste. And I, I sat with a brother who just was ate up with it. And I thought, what spiritual benefit is that to your soul? What you need to know is that when Christ died, you died with him. When he buried when he was buried, you were buried with him. And when he rose to life, you have new life. You rose with him to life. What you need to concentrate on is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and all these side theological issues that just have vain, empty discussions from on and on and on. And if you want to stay up for the rest of your life, just get on the Internet and type in some stuff. You can follow rabbit trails until the rabbit is in the stew. And I'm telling you, it's a waste of stinking time. It's a waste. So the empty discussions. Notice certain persons by swaying, they desire to be teachers. Teacher, they desire to be teachers of the law. There again, probably a Jewish reference, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make certain assertions. So uh, Paul's going to handle the issue of law with Timothy in verse nine. For we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Well, what is the lawful use of the law, according to Paul? He says, understanding this, that the law has not been, is not laid down for the just. The law is not for the just, but for the lawless, the disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners. The purpose of the law is not for you and I. Okay? We have life within us. That life supersedes any kind of law that would restrain us. We don't need to be restrained. We have life. We don't look at law. We look at life. But for those who are lost in the disobedience and the rebellious, the law has a great use. It shows sin. It reveals sin. So notice, you and I are just, so the law is not laid down for us. Go, a uh, rabbit trail, with me to Galatians, the last uh, uh, chapter of Galatians, five, six, actually. Galatians, I hadn't planned on going here, but let's, uh, let's, the fruit of the Spirit is what we're looking for. I think it's in Galatians chapter five, so go with me there. And uh, you guys kind of help me. Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit in 5 or 6. It's in 5. Thank you. All right, so take a look at that. Chapter 5, verse 22 of Galatians. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And there's this whole long list. In the end of the list, there's a semicolon, and it says, against such, there is no law. What did Paul mean by that? When the fruit of the Spirit is flowing in love and peace and patience, there is no law needed to restrain a person to be loving and patient. There's no law on the books in America or in England that says that a mother must take care of their child. There's none. Now, there probably needs to be, but there shouldn't need to be, because a mother should naturally take care of their child. There's no law needed. There's no law for us because we have life in the Spirit, and that fruit, there's no law that restrains an apple tree to to produce apples. It's the nature of an apple tree to produce the fruit. Farmer doesn't set out a big document in the field and said thus and thus and thus and thus, and this is what you're going to do. So turn back to uh, Timothy, First Timothy, and we'll handle a few more. First Timothy, so the law is not for us. The law is for the lost. The law is for the ungodly, the disobedient. Notice, for the unholy and profane and for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers and sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, this is a long list, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is, notice, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. There's Paul's emphasis again. Notice he relates sound teaching to holy living. Because he's saying this unholy lifestyle of the ungodly is against the sound doctrine. So sound doctrine equates to holy living the opposite of this entire list. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with whom I have been entrusted. He has been entrusted with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Once in a while, Paul once in a while paul gets into this spell in his writing you can just tell now the whole thing's inspired by the holy spirit but he gets in this little spell where he just he just goes into this doxologies where he's just praising god and and i just love it don't you when he just writes this the glory and it's just anyway